but there are a few things that you're going to notice in this section today. Um, it's not as cohesive, well, let me take that back. It's more cohesive uh, than the sections that we've done in the past. So uh, last week and the week before, you might remember I had my little three-point summary. Uh, well, today it's all one point. In fact, it's the same point uh, that we had as the final point last week, is that God reveals himself, God is still revealing himself as the only sovereign one. He's doing it through uh, this warfare against the gods of Egypt. And if you came in, I hope you grabbed a, uh, a, a handout on the way in. If you didn't, uh, we can get somebody to hand out some of those. Um, but uh, you'll see as we go through, oh, Jay will take care of it. That's why he's a deacon, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you'll see as we go through, and I can't claim credit for this. I'm, I'm no Egypt scholar. Um, but you'll see as we go through that God is doing warfare against the gods of Egypt, in, in a sense, knocking them off one by one, and showing again that he is the only sovereign. But uh, as we go through, you're going to see, um, basically, it's the same idea over and over and over again. And so instead of breaking this into nine little divisions and talking about each one, I want us to go through and compare what's going on in each of these different signs. We're going to see um, eight, rather. Uh, so we saw the first sign last week, the turning of the water into blood. Uh, and we will not yet get to the death of the firstborn. That doesn't happen until after the Passover uh, is announced and there's a sort of a theological interlude there. Um, so we're going to look at uh, eight of the plagues today. And rather than break the passage into eight little sections, um, what we're going to do is we're going to just sit back and notice the things that are repeated. In many ways, uh, the plagues of Egypt are like uh, the first chapter of Genesis, where there's a rhythm to them. And there are things that are repeated, and there's a, there's a certain, um, it, it helps for learning. Uh, for those that are learning, here's how it happened. There's, there's the same thing happening in the plagues of Egypt. There are things that are repeated. Uh, there are themes that come up. And where you see emphasis is where things change. We'll see as we go through that some things step outside of this normal pattern. And those are the places where the writer, Moses, is drawing attention to what's happening. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first chapter together. We're going to sit back and say, well, what was repeated? Uh, what was important? What stood out? Uh, and then that will, will get us looking for what's going to happen again, what's going to be repeated in the next two chapters. And then we'll, uh, we'll take another step back uh, and try to put them all together. So what I'd like first is two volunteers, if you wouldn't mind, uh, to read Exodus chapter 8 for us. Two volunteers. Jay, thank you. Jay's going to grab the first 15 verses of Exodus chapter 8. I'm going to take verses 16 through 32. Now, while we're doing this, I want you to pay attention. Uh, what are the elements? Uh, there are these eight little sections. What are the elements that you see repeated from one to the other? In chapter 8, we're going to see three of the plagues. So take a look and, uh, and notice what you see repeated. Go ahead, Jay. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Thank you. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and he struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people, and into your houses, and the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with the swarms of flies, and also on the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go, sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, It would not be right to do so, for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. If we sacrificed offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only, let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did as Moses asked, and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. Not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Okay. So what did you hear in those three plagues? What did you see or hear that was repeated? What are the things that come up again and again? The Lord said to Moses. Every single one of the plagues will begin this way. The Lord said to Moses. Uh, he does not do anything, uh, it seems, in this section without first revealing to Moses uh, what's going to happen. Great. What else did you see repeated? So the beginning is repeated. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh hardened his heart. 
Uh, I think that happens at the end of every single one. So there are bookends that happen on each one. The Lord said to Moses, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And the Lord said to Moses, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And, then, and it, uh, it has this sort of beginning and ending feel. So it's, in a sense, it's easy to break down which ones. It's almost like, I mentioned that it, it follows a kind of pattern like Genesis. And there was morning, there was evening, and the, the such and such day. Uh, and the Lord said, and, the, you know, and all these things. There's this repetition, and the repetition in these sections is, the Lord said, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Great. What else did you see that was repeated? Aaron stretches his hand. Yeah. Uh, now, we saw that last week, didn't we? Um, and you'll notice when we start to look at some of the charts that I've given you uh, that not everyone involves Aaron. In fact, Aaron uh, happens at the beginning, and this is one of the reasons that we see, well, we'll, let's take a look at what's repeated so that we see what changes as it goes on. Uh, It will not always be Aaron who is the agent of these things happening, and you'll see that as as we go along. Great, so Aaron's involved. What else do you see? Who are the other uh, actors that show up again and again? Pharaoh's servants. Okay, so the plagues uh, begin, and it seems like they happen to everyone. Uh, the plague that we saw last week, it was all the water and all the Nile, uh, and it seems to be everywhere. And, and, but Pharaoh and his servants seem to be increasingly uh, the object of God's plagues. In fact, the last one that we read, the flies, God says, on this day, I'm going to start making a distinction. Uh, you and your servants will have this plague, but my people will not. In the land of Goshen, there will be no swarms. There will will be no uh, flies there. Great. What else? Who else is involved that is repeated? How do the plagues come to an end each time? There's a pleading. Yeah. Um, So Pharaoh has to go to Moses and say, plead to the Lord for me. Uh, And in fact, twice at least, we saw Moses said, well, uh, the first time, uh, let me know when you want me to plead for you. Name your time, Pharaoh, uh, whenever it is, so that you know uh, that this is actually the Lord, that it's not just a coincidence. You pick a time and God will do it. Uh, And then we see this repeated, um, this interaction between Moses and the Lord. Each one begins with, the Lord said to Moses, and each one seems to end, at least so far, with, and Moses pleaded to the Lord. There's this back and forth there. It's the same rhythm that we see through these things. What else? How about the obedience of God's servants? Exactly. Uh, Take a look at chapter 8, verse 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand uh, upon the waters of Egypt. They do exactly as God tells them to. Um, Sometimes it's the Lord who carries through the things that he said he's going to do. It always begins with an announcement. Here's the plague. Sometimes a warning. Sometimes the Lord says, if you do this or if you turn back, 
uh, you can avoid this plague, but sometimes it simply says, uh, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and take a look at chapter 8, verse 17. It's not Aaron, but it's the Lord now. The Lord said to Moses, uh, stretch out your staff, and then verse 17, and they did so. Uh, and then where is it? Um, verse 24. Tomorrow this sign shall happen, verse 24, and the Lord did so. So it's this announcement, and it's this saying that the Lord is the one who gets to uh, proclaim and, and predict, although it's not a prediction, uh, it's, a, it's a warning really, it's an announcement of what he's going to do, uh, and it's not left up in the air, who knows? Maybe, maybe something like this will happen. It's, this is going to happen, and it happened. Uh, and God is showing his sovereignty through these things. Great. Anything else? I think we've just about covered most of the elements. Now, these things are important because we're going to read the rest uh, of this section, uh, chapters 9 and 10. And with this in the background of our minds, I want you to pay attention. Uh, how do they begin? How do they end? Uh, what does Moses do? What does Pharaoh do? Uh, does the Lord uh, bring about these things? Or does Aaron? Or does Moses? Uh, and how do these things happen? And, and what we'll do is we'll kind of analyze a little bit uh, when we get to the end. So I need a few more volunteers. Can I get somebody to read Exodus Chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, please. David, thank you. Uh, somebody to grab the rest of Exodus chapter 9, verses 13 through 35. Steve, thank you. Uh, somebody to grab uh, Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Mike, thank you, sir. And somebody else to grab chapter 10, verses 12 through 29. Jay, thank you, sir. Cynthia, did you want to take that one? Jay already got to read. Let's, we'll have Cynthia take chapter 10. 10, 12 through 29. It's the longest of the reading, so I, I'm sure you're up to it. All right, so let's get started. Who had Exodus chapter 9, verses 1 through 12? David, please read. Verse 13.
Mike chapter 10, verses 1 through 11.
All right. Uh, thank you uh, to those of you uh, brave enough to read those large portions. Um, so what did you see? We talked a little bit already about some of the elements uh, that were repeated. How did you see those elements change? Uh, how did you see the intensity increased? Uh, and, and what might that be telling us about what uh, the Lord is trying to emphasize here in these stories? How so? Okay, okay, so Moses begins to take a prominent role. Um, and it happens that uh, at the beginning, you remember Moses said, well, um, you know, I, I'm of uncircumcised lips. I can't go and speak before Pharaoh. And God said, no, 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 tell you what. You go and I'll make Aaron like your prophet. Um, and here's what will happen. Um, you'll go and you'll speak words to Aaron, like I've spoken to you, and then Aaron will speak and do these things to Pharaoh, and, uh, and all that will happen. Uh, but you're seeing that it's, it's getting closer, sort of, hopefully not in a crass way, but think of a, a hierarchy. God, Moses, Aaron. Uh, God uses Moses as his prophet. Uh, Aaron, Moses uses Aaron. I'm sorry, God uses Moses. Moses uses Aaron. Um, and as you go along, uh, take the, uh, the handout I've given you here. On the back, you see uh, this sideways table taken from Nahum, Nahum Sarna's book. Um, Notice the agent here, uh, all the way in the left-hand column, as they go through from the, um, so he's grouped them into sections of three, which is another interesting thing here. Um, You see Aaron working in the first three. He's the agent uh, of the blood and the frogs and the lice. Uh, And then God steps in, God himself does it. Uh, And then Moses, and then the last one ends uh, with God. So it is this increasing... um, putting forward of, of Moses before Pharaoh, but God himself also steps in. Um, and, and there's a theological uh, connection between what happens, um, and, and we'll save that for one of the other elements that, uh, that increases. So thank you for pointing that out. Okay. Why, why do you think this might happen? Why is God using Moses more? Why didn't he just use Aaron the whole time? What's to come? What's to come? What, what do you mean, Bill? Mm-hmm. But then Moses has to lead them, and mm-hmm. also for the forty years in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah. He is—he's uh, putting his chosen man in a position where the Israelites have to see him as their deliverer. Remember that in Exodus chapter two, Moses tried to deliver uh, by his own means, and the people were having none of it. Uh, who made you a prince and a ruler over us? And so Moses took off. And he's a little bit reluctant to go back to Egypt. But now the Lord is putting Moses more and more uh, above Pharaoh. So hopefully the people will remember these things as they see all this happening. They see Aaron first, and so Aaron is revered as well by the people. They see God himself working, and they'll continue to see God working through the the Exodus. But they're seeing Moses more and more, and God is identifying him as, as the leader. 
Sure, sure, yeah. Great. Uh, what else did you see that changed, that maybe increased in intensity? Is that a hand, Steve? And there, there's almost a sense that, that Pharaoh is a little bit, um, he doesn't realize or, or isn't grasping because of the hardness of his heart, he's not realizing the, gra the, uh, the gravity of the situation. He's bargaining the, the way you sell a camel, you know, uh, or, or a car. Uh, like Pharaoh's standing there saying, tell you what, I'll throw in the floor mats, but the spoiler, uh, I can't do that. Uh, and, and each time Moses comes back and says, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Uh, halfway obedience isn't going to get it. You can't just let us go a little bit because the God, has, uh, the God of the Hebrews has already shown up and said, let my people go. Let them, let them out so that they may serve me. And, and you have to say, the, the only proper response on the part of Pharaoh is to say, whatever the Lord wants, the Lord gets. Did you notice that that also is a repeated element? We didn't grab it the first time through, um, but you see it. Well, where does it show up the first time? Chapter 8, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. There's an intention here. Not just let them go. Don't just uh, turn them loose because you don't want them anymore. But there's a reason that the people have to go. They have to serve me. And that shows up again and again. Uh, it shows up in uh, chapter 8, verse 20. Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. It shows up in chapter 9, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews. So that has changed. It's added now who he is the God of. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Shows up again in the seventh plague in uh, chapter 9, verse 13. Uh, it, uh, is that the last one? I think that's the last time that it shows up. Um, so there's, there's this intention here, uh, and what Pharaoh is doing is he's dragging his feet as much as he possibly can. Uh, Egypt is, is being more and more wounded. You finally get to the point where the servants of Pharaoh say, don't you realize that Egypt is in shambles? There's nothing left. And he's trying to hold on to a tiny little shred of his power. Okay, uh, your, your wives and your children can go, but not your flocks. And there are these, there's this back and forth. It's, it's like this bickering almost. It's this, uh, uh, this uh, sort of negotiation that Pharaoh thinks he can enter into with the Lord. Jay. Yeah. And it's sort of like Peter's mentor, Peter's kind of command, then he can 
Now that's an interesting point, Jay. How, how long do you think? We aren't given an indication of time, per se, um, other than tomorrow. Sometimes it says, the Lord says this, and tomorrow I'm going to do it. But we aren't given an indication of time uh, in the large scale in, in when this happens. And I think here's an instance where we can come to this with our ideas of uh, Charlton Heston or the movies that we've seen uh, where they, they come in this uh, succession, uh, one right on top of the other. But I think, um, so one of the scholars that I read is pretty helpful in, in saying, you know, one of, the, one of the problems that we find when you, read, um, when you read these plagues, you say, well, how is it that all the livestock died, and then the hail came down and all the livestock died? Weren't they already dead? How is it that the hail killed all the plants and then the locusts ate all the plants? Now, there's actually a much larger span of time that we're probably dealing with here. Um, one uh, sort of conservative estimate is uh, that if you take, let me, let me use the source that I have here because I uh, don't have these things down. Um, so the Passover, the end of this whole cycle, takes place in the spring at the full moon. If the Nile flood is the beginning of the series of plagues, if that, if that uh, blood, uh, the water turned to blood is where it begins, that happens normally between June and October. Okay, and so he's, he's also talking when, when we get some of these um, crops, uh, well, the hail struck down this, but not that, because they hadn't come up yet. And so we need to sort of think uh, in a longer span of time. There's a lot that happens. The Lord says, tomorrow I'm going to do it, and he does. And some of these plagues happen to be, or seem to be, pretty close in coming to one another. Um, but, but it also, uh, you know, you can almost see the way that Pharaoh works, because we work the same way. If all this happens the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day, if he has like the worst three weeks of his entire life, now you can imagine how he would be very quick to repent and just send them along. But it almost seems that the Lord is giving enough space. You know, Moses is preparing, all right, uh, you know, Pharaoh says, all right, get your people together. You can go and serve a, a little bit. I, I'll actually let you go. Uh, but you know, it's going to take you a while to get those things together. And while you're, while you're preparing... Uh, you know what? Uh, things are getting better. The hail is gone. The sun is shining. The, some of those plants that were planted are starting to come back up. Uh, and he gets just enough. And so it's almost like Pharaoh has been bargaining with Moses, like, like Steve just mentioned. Uh, and the Lord is stringing Pharaoh along just enough to keep him humble or to continue to humble him. Um, so you can almost, you know, you see the way that that works. So that's just another interesting thing that we, we don't know uh, for sure. There's, there's no time. It's kind of like the other sections where it says, and a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. That covers 400 years. Uh, you know, in that one little phrase. And so uh, there's some time here that, that might be happening that we're not aware of. Steve. Yeah, so tease that out. Where do you see that, Steve? Could you give us an example? Um, like, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what happened before that, uh, think about the, uh, the plague with the hail. Take a look at chapter uh, 9, verse 20. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. So Egypt is beginning to be divided at this point. Earlier on, it happened. I mean, you can trace this all the way back to the magicians. Uh, the, the servants of Pharaoh seem to be pretty sure of themselves at the beginning, especially because they are able to replicate the signs uh, that Moses and Aaron are doing. A whole lot of good that does if you've already got water turned into blood to be able to turn more water into more blood. A lot of good that does if you've got frogs everywhere and you're making more frogs appear. Uh, why didn't they make them disappear? Who knows? Uh, but uh, but they're, they're pretty sure of themselves. And it's not until you get to the point... Uh, where is it? In um, chapter 8, verse 19. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. The magicians are the first ones to recognize it because they see a power that is stronger than their own power. Now, we could, we could go on a tangent uh, with the magicians and, and what's happening there. Um, and, and maybe we will, but, but hopefully not. Um, so, uh, so the magicians are the first ones to see it. And then the servants, uh, the people who are running the crops and and the cattle, uh, they begin to see it. Uh, But God even says, I know yet that you and your servants don't fear the Lord. And then that one that that Steve brought up, um, that that finally they say, don't you understand, how long will this man be a snare to him? It seems like everyone around Pharaoh is recognizing what should be plain, and Pharaoh is completely blind to it. Uh, He's this man who's trying to hold on to his last shred of power. Don't forget that he is seen as a god himself. Uh, And so what we're seeing, now you can take a look at that other chart that I've given you there. Um, I think it's it's pretty straightforward. I can't give you a whole lot more information about the gods um, that uh, that this is dealing with other than what you see there. Uh, So take a look. It might be interesting to you. Um, But it it also seems to increase the gods that uh, that are dealt with all the way up to darkness. Uh, The the chief pantheon of the god was the sun god, Ra. Uh, And it it goes up to darkness, and then the last plague hits everyone, including Pharaoh. Brian. Yeah. Mm. Ah, okay. 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 You know, maybe six weeks tops. Yeah. So that means seven, eight, nine, and ten all happen. Right after, yeah, right after one another. That's fast. That's pretty quick. You know, the the first six. Who who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You know those last ones are quick. Yep. Yep. Which may be why um, Pharaoh's theological position toward the Lord really ratchets itself up toward the end there. Notice what Pharaoh said to Moses in the beginning. Take a look back in chapter 8, this first plague. Oops, sorry. Let me find it here. So if you could see what I'm working with. I I use this rainbow of colors so that I can see these things quickly. So I just have to find uh, where it is. It's the green. No, I think it's purple, actually, that I'm I'm looking for. Okay, so the frogs. Chapter 8, verse 8. 
Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take the frogs from me and from my people. Just a bear, just get rid of this plague. That's it. That's all you need to do. Just make it stop. Okay, that's, that's pretty base level. Uh, I see the Lord has brought this, and so ask the Lord to stop this. Well, it continues. Um, take a look. Um, he uses the same word again during the flies. Uh, chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, you must not go very far away. Plead for me. It, it turns tables now. It's not just take the frogs away. Uh, don't just plead for the Lord to remove this scourge, but plead for me as well. And I think that's, uh, that's assuming that he plead for me and the trouble that is happening to Egypt. Uh, but he continues. Uh, take a look now in the seventh plague, chapter 9, verse 27. Look what he says. And Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. So it's increasing, isn't it? He's seeing that the Lord uh, is, is really in control, and there's a theological relation uh, that Pharaoh has. He is able, by his, uh, his hardening of his heart and his not letting the people go, not obeying the Lord, he realizes now this is sin. There's a relationship that the Lord is over. And one more mention of that. Uh, take a look in chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Do you see the way it increases each time? And now, you know, we mentioned already, I think Jay brought up the, the idea that Moses begins to take more and more of a prominent place. And now Pharaoh says, not only have I sinned against the Lord, but I've sinned against you, Moses, his man. Uh, and what I need is not just for the Lord to remove these things, but I need the Lord to forgive me. He recognizes these things. And so it's this, it's this increasing uh, awareness of, of who God is. Good, good. Anything else? What else did you see that, that increased as the story went on? Or that changed? Uh, something you expected to see but didn't see? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, yep. Yeah. Well, you remember that we read, I think it was back in chapter 4, either chapter 3 or chapter 4, the Lord has already said, this is what's going to happen. Moses, you're going to go down. Uh, You are going to speak to Pharaoh. You're going to say, let my people go. Uh, But I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, Verse 20, yeah, chapter 4, verse 21. When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So there has been this volley back and forth. And sometimes it speaks of the Lord hardening his heart. Sometimes it speaks of Pharaoh hardening his heart. But all along, uh, notice what else uh, it says. So, so each time it ends um, with Pharaoh's heart being hardened. But there's another element there. Uh, take a look, uh, and I realize, I hope you're, you're able to track here. We're, we're sort of skipping around, and we're just seeing things tracing through. 
Uh, take a look at chapter 9, verse 12. What does it say? Somebody read that for us, please. Somebody read that for us, please. Thank you. Aha! God said it was going to happen. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so we see that this is exactly, uh, it shows up in chapter 8, verse 15, as the Lord had said. Shows up in chapter 8, verse 19, as the Lord had said. Uh, Almost every time we see either Pharaoh hardening his heart, um, or the Lord hardening, or or just his heart was hardened. Sometimes it's it's impersonal. His heart was hardened. Um, It mentions, God already predicted this. God already said this was going to happen. Uh, Now, here's an interesting thing. In chapter 4, verse 21, and here's maybe where we can go on that tangent with the magicians. Um, The Lord said, go to Pharaoh, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to do all the powers I've put in your hand. And so you can imagine Moses going to Pharaoh, and he's saying, well, I don't speak very well, but I can turn a staff into a snake. Here's something that will grab his attention. And then the magicians do the same thing. Uh, and, and before, uh, you know, the staff of Aaron turned snake, uh, swallows up the other snakes. You, you might imagine the way that, uh, that uh, Moses would feel deflated. I thought I was going to come in here and I was going to do my trick. Uh, and Pharaoh was going to believe and, and these things were going to happen. Um, what's going on here? Why would the Lord send Moses uh, with signs, with plagues even, that it seems that the Egyptians... Uh, can replicate. And are, are they actually replicating them, or is it some sort of sleight of hand? Is it, is it some, uh, you know, some magic trick? Um, or are they actually doing these things? What do you think, Cynthia? Yeah, yeah that, that sort of stringing him along, giving him enough space. Um, you know, I, I don't think, you know, oh, I know. Certainly the Lord knew exactly what the magicians of Pharaoh were going to do in response to this, this sign of the snake and the sign of, uh, of the water turned into blood and the sign of the frogs and all these other things. Okay. Are, are they doing real magical things, Jay? <laughs> a wise man. All right. So, what do you want to? What do you want to answer, Jay? <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what a great thing to kind of set up. And like, why not just set up a, a boundary and just not for an angel that will create a big long wall? Israel is a nation that works in law. Well, that means there's, there's no teaching to Israel mm-hmm. as much as the Egyptians. There's no mm-hmm. hand mm-hmm. for them to see and follow up. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's an interesting point there, Jay, that, that what he's doing is showing his power not just to show his power. The point is not a magic show. The point is not a spectacle. Fireworks. Woohoo! Uh, the point is know that the Lord, he is God, and fear him, which some of the servants do. And not, I think, not fear him in the sense that they're afraid of what might happen. Uh, that, that's probably part of it, but they fear him in the sense that they believe his word. He will do what he says he will do, because all along we've seen the Lord said to Moses, and they did, and it happened. Guess what? Uh, the Lord keeps his word. Um, and, and it's the power uh, that sets up the preaching of, of God keeping his promises. Remember, this whole thing happens in the context of the Lord is the covenant God who keeps his promises. That's what started this whole thing. Moses, I've seen my people. I remember my covenant. I'm going to bring them out. And, and you can bank on that. And I'm going to show you and I'm going to show Egypt the same thing uh, so that they know those things. Now, interesting that when, um, when Jesus is ministering, um, and I think uh, it's close to his hometown, but some of the Pharisees and the scribes come and they say, he drives out demons by the prince of demons, by Beelzebul. Uh, and do you remember what Jesus says? We know that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Um, and if I, Jesus says, if I drive out demons by the hand of Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? But if this is a real sign, then the finger of God, he uses the phrase, the finger of God has come upon you. What's he saying? You need to be impressed with my miracles. No, 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 no. He's saying you need to listen to what I have to tell you. And I'm using these signs. The whole Gospel of John is laid out. Jesus says seven things, seven I am statements. And we also see seven signs that increase in intensity all the way up to the raising of Lazarus, a man from the dead. And the whole point is not just so we would come away and say, wow, Jesus did a lot of great things. But we say, what, did, what was he telling us? Well, he was telling us that he's the son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And those who believe in him will have everlasting life. Uh, and he uses all these things to, uh, to magnify the truth that's behind here. And it's the same thing. And Jesus says, look, if, if what I'm doing is evidence of the finger of God at work, then you better believe what I'm telling you. It's the same thing that's happening here. Uh, he uses that as, as a, uh, a backbone for it. Steve, you had your hand up. Do you want to have the last comment? Yeah. Thank you. So we, we began um, with this idea that, that there's a teaching element to this, that it's repeated for a reason, kind of like uh, the story of creation. There's morning, there's evening, the third day. There's morning, there's evening, the fourth day. And, and it's meant to be repeated and learned 
Uh, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen, but it's framed in a way that we can actually see these things and, and we can pass them on from one generation to another. Uh, let me give you that as another uh, application. So we, we've had the application already that, that this is what's actually happening. We better believe this God. We better obey this God. And when we see the finger of God show up in Jesus Christ, we better listen to him. We better believe what he has to tell us, and we better put our faith and our hope in him. Uh, but there's another element here. Uh, take a look in chapter 10, verse 2. Uh, let's start in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that, here's the other purpose, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Now, you might remember that back in chapter 7, the Lord came to Pharaoh and said, I'm going to turn these things, I'm going to do these things so that you, singular, you, Pharaoh, will know. Now, close to the end, the Lord says, no, this is a generational thing. It's not just about Pharaoh. It's about passing this on from one to another. And so if you believe this, you, you have not seen uh, these plagues. Uh, we weren't alive at this time. They were handed down to us so we might uh, believe them and, and remember them and, and put our faith in this God. Um, but if you have an opportunity and you've seen the, the power of the Lord at work in your life, this is what we are to do as well. To pass it on to our children, if you have children. To pass it on to others who don't know, if you know people that don't know, and you do. Uh, and, and to pass these things on from one generation to another. Uh, and so I, I want to leave you with that thought. Um, that here's the God of, of heavens and earth, uh, who is the only sovereign. And he shows these things. He shows them through Egypt. He shows them through Christ, so that we would know his power. Uh, and I want to encourage you to, to tell somebody about that. Bill. I think in closing, yes. when you're showing the mission, <clears throat> the uh, magicians of Egypt say the Lord is with hmm. us. We're teaching us that same thing. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. Bill, will you close us in prayer today, please? Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> hey there, Woos. Good to see you. Yeah, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. I was going to take my lapel off, but uh, I'm going to need it again. Mm-hmm. He's a Jewish scholar, yeah.
historical? No. Um, I don't think he's a liberal Jewish scholar. Um, I, I think he's rather conservative, uh, but it is certainly without the lens of Christ. Um, but he, he, he looks at this and uh, he, he does talk about uh, the fact that, uh, you know, so he's got this analysis at the beginning of his book, what does Exodus teach us? Well, he talks about Yahweh is the God of history. Um, so he, he actually takes this as, as God steps in. So it's a, it's a really good analysis from that standpoint, so long as you realize he is, he is missing uh, the big picture. So, but yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. So, yeah. Yeah, and he, he does a good job with stuff like that, breaking it down and thinking literarily, which we sometimes miss. 